welcome back to the Redfern Book Review. I am your host, Amy Mayer, and today I am joined by um, one of my favorite people to have on the podcast, uh, Susan Matheson. And there's a couple of things that are really great about having Susan on. Um, I usually have her on at the end of the season, which is this is the very last episode that I'm doing until the fall, because it's a nice thing um, for people to check back in over the summer because uh, she always does a roundup with me about, and this time we're going to do a roundup for what to read over the summer. And also, I really don't have to do any work on this podcast. So this is really lovely. I just, I, I know what she's going to talk about, but I don't, I know the books we're going to cover. But other than that, we're just, I'm winging it. I'm sure she's done some prep, but it's a nice little kind of a break for me. Thank you, Susan, for being so, so good at what <laughs> well, you do. I wouldn't count yourself out. I came to you with a list of about 35 books that I'd edited to 12, and you managed to get it down to seven, and now we've settled on six. So there's some work involved. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but we have so much to say. I think we should just dive right in. And what we're going to do is, um, Susan, if you're a regular listener, she we'll pick uh, six books or we pick six books and then she has her own. She has a really great um, blog on books called bedside table books. And when this drops, and this is coming out on uh, May 26, she's also going to drop her own blog. So a corresponding blog with another six books. And um, also the other thing to note, I would say you don't usually pick the hot hottest books because that, that's easy for anyone to find. I think you've done a little more digging um, and kind of maybe those books that are not the, everyone, the first thing people would think of and kind of, I guess, give them a little bit of a um, support or recognition. Yes. I always love to know more about the authors before I read a book. And um, there's certainly lots of uh, mainstream books that are absolutely wonderful. And I was I, I do find the delight in digging around and finding something that might seem a little obscure, but um, brings great joy. I love, I love supporting the writers, but also finding a, a book that's kind of not out there that everybody else is reading. However, having said that, I uh, was so excited to come to you with this book that I've had bookmarked for some time. And it was the Cutting for Stone author, Abraham Verghese's book, um, the Covenant of Water, and the day that you and I spoke to set this up, Oprah, Oprah-sized it, <laughs> it yes. took off, so I have removed that from the list, however, uh, it's actually holding my computer up right now as we're on Zoom, because <laughs> it's so big, but I am very much looking forward to getting into that one, because I think a number of us really enjoyed Cutting for Stone, so that's a bonus book, but we are going to go forth without any Oprah picks, as far as I know, or any other ones, and choose our own. So our first one that I, um, it is getting some traction, but I was quite excited about this one, and it's called Go as a River, and it's written by Shelley Reed. And if you know me, you know my taste in books. I love a book that has a setting that you feel immersed in. And this one is set in Colorado. And the writer, Shelley, is a fifth generation Coloradan, I guess you call them, a person from Colorado. So she's lived there all this time. And this story is actually set on a true story of a little tiny town that in the 1960s um, was destroyed. And 
you know, in our own news, I love when there's a sort of a current contemporary tie-in. Um, when we think of Cash Creek and Merritt, our own little interior towns, they've had their own devastation. So this starts in that sort of a setting. Uh, little town, um, really going through tough times, beautifully set. Um, all the reviews say the um, scenery is breathtaking. It's gorgeously described. And so you really feel like you're there. But the big part of this is the character. She's one of these very resilient and memorable young women that faces some tough times and uh, and carries forth. And so go as a river is uh, indicating that she flows through some tough times and moves along. So the reviews I've seen make this historical fiction with a contemporary feel about it only because these little towns are still going through these big challenges now, but I know we all share a delight in a really strong woman character uh, or man, but in this case, a woman who we can really get engaged with. So this one, while it's a quiet book, it has a beautiful cover in every iteration, whether it's the U.S. or the U.K. or Canada. And we've talked about that before. I truly confess to being uh, smitten by a good cover. Anyway, this one, every little independent bookstore I've been in in the last little while is uh, singing the praises of this one. So let's get aboard. I think it's going to be a good one. And I, I read comparisons to Where the Crawdad Sings, and I yes. think that they're definitely trying to tap into that with... The cover looks a little similar, mm -hmm. and I guess the whole idea of the natural world. Um, yes, and I think there is the tie-in there as well, is that the main character is young, like the character in Where the Crawdads uh, Think. She's, she's not, um, she's more, I don't know if she's teen or if she's young 20s, but she's certainly in the same uh, time frame, or age frame. And she also sets off into the wilderness on her own and faces challenges, natural challenges there as well. Um, okay, what's the next book? Well, I can't have a list without one of these juicy mysteries. Now, I don't get into them quite as often. Um, and yet every time I do, I'm absolutely delighted. So I'm not sure why I don't. But this one looks like one that's definitely worth jumping into, especially in the summer. And it combines a number of, again, really current interests. So it's called The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. And she's a debut author. And what it does is, well, I loved the fact that it was described as a brilliant puzzle. And it's a mystery, but it's set with this kind of crazy host of a baking show. And she hosts the baking show, like we're all used to watching the Great British or Great Canadian Bake Off, a show similar to that. And she hosts it in her family childhood home, which is an impressive estate. I think it was in Vermont. And so the setting, again, is really its own character. And then while all of this is going on, she's having this show, there are all these eccentric characters who, as we often see on these shows, I think that's probably part of it, um, is all these eccentric characters get together. And she, even though she's sort of presented as, you know, Grandmother America, the Miss, you know, sweet baking queen, she has a bit of a dark side. So there's a mystery, there's a murder, I gather, there's something big that goes down. And there's all sorts of competitive hijinks. And uh, what a great idea. I just think it's terrific. And light and fun, something we can all envision, but um, very twisty and turny from what I gather. So sounds like a cozy mystery. Yes, there right. you go. Yes, I think the first time I heard about cozy mysteries was on your podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I wonder if there's a cat. So I, I had someone on talk about what it, what's in a cozy mystery. And apparently some people say there always has to be a cat in it. Oh, well, we'll I have to keep an eye out for the cat then because uh, it sounds like they've got the big old house that could <laughs> warrant having a cat aboard. Okay, what's the next one? Okay, I think both you and I are super excited about this one. And I actually gave a copy to my mom for Mother's Day. Um, it's out now and it's called All the Beauty in the World and it's by Patrick Bringley. Now it's another debut and this one is a nonfiction or it's a memoir, his story of the Met Museum in New York City. And many of us have been lucky enough to go through the hallways of the Met. We can do it again with Patrick because he was a writer for the New Yorker. So that establishes his street cred there for the writing element. But he um, had kind of a tough time. An older brother was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer and he needed to sort of step out um, of his writing life and go do something completely different. And he always loved the Met Museum. So he ended up getting a job there as a guard and he worked for 10 years in the Met Museum and it's over 2 million square feet. And through this book, you get to see every corner of the museum. You get to meet all of the wonderful people he worked with and sort of see the inner workings of a big museum and the big museum. It's, um, it's an incredible, um, and lively glimpse into all the behind the scenes goings on. So I think it's, I'm just so excited about this one. It's not a huge book, but it's um, I think quite well annotated. Like every, you know, there are art references and, and in the back, there's a whole kind of connection to all the pieces mentioned. So we talked about the art, but I think the heart of the book is in the community of this little subculture of workers who are in the, in the museum behind the scenes that make it all come to life for all of us when we pop in to check it out for a couple of hours. I really would love to read this book. Um, I just think it sounds so fun, so much fun and interesting too, because it, I haven't you often looked at a guard and someone like that and thought, what are they thinking about? Like, you know, it's really funny. And some of these things, so there's two things, remind me two things to talk about here. One is that it was probably a month ago or maybe a little bit longer because I've known about this book for over a month. But a little while ago, I came across an article in the Smithsonian, which is a great magazine to read. I read it online. And it was how they have an event. So these museums have an event where the guards get to put on their own artwork. They bring their own art and they show it. And they have their own little art show. And I read this article. I thought, how fantastic. That's like flipping the script. And, and you know, I'm sure all these guards, they're exposed to this incredible art in the world. I'm sure they're inspired. Many of them are probably there because they love art. And mm-hmm. I thought that was such a great, it just sort of, you know, those things that kind of stick in your brain. And then I came across this biography or memoir. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting kind of connection there. And then the other one, and I think you blogged about this not long ago, was the behind the scenes of the waiter and was he in France or in New York oh that's a good book I just finished that yeah um it was in New York okay your table is ready right and there's one that's also set in France same sort of situation it's an American going to France and works as a waiter behind the scenes in France so these ones 
you know, there's all that kind of behind the scenes, you know, the curtain gets moved and we get that glimpse into these other worlds. And that's what reading's all about. It's so much fun. But when you can do it with an expert like that in a memoir, it's uh, super exciting. There's another book that when I was reading about this book um, that came out a few years ago, that's supposed to be good called Metropolitan Stories mm-hmm. by an author, Christine Colson, who I believe also worked for um, the Met. Uh, for 25 years in different capacities. And I think what she's doing is she picks her favorite objects. I think it's a small book. Right. Not necessarily the most famous objects, but the ones that she liked. And then I have to, I also, I know this probably was one of your favorite books growing up was the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil. What was her name? Basil. I don't know. Oh, do you know about this? Okay. I'm writing notes. It was a kid's book. Mm-hmm. And what happened was um, uh, they got trapped in the Met overnight. Okay. And so then they basically kind of party in the Met. Like they're, you know, they're like Fine. 10 years old and they're like jumping in fountains. With kids. Jumping in fount- yeah. Jumping in fountains, jumping on the bed and all that. It's, it's a really cute book, but um, it was kind of a love letter to the Met as well. Oh, isn't that great? Mixed up files of Mrs. I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking. But. Yeah, we'll have to link. There's another one I'm thinking of because when um, my kids were little, we were living in London. And of course, we go to the American Museum of History. Not, we wouldn't actually go to the American one, would we? We would go to the <laughs> Museum of Natural History in London. And um, there's a wonderful book, too, a little girl who goes and visits the museum. And, and uh, I'll have to remember what that one is and share it with you. But Anyway, it's obviously inspiration that's uh, been followed before, but I think this one, all the beauty in the world, is going to be a, a particularly good one. This is called From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankenweiler. And it won like a, a Caldecott or one of the big. Oh, wonderful. But it's old. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. But okay. All right. Well, we're, I think we'll both have to read that and. Yes. Well, and you know, you bring up another kind of cool thing. I did have a few children's books I was going to add. And then I thought, you know what, they're kind of worth their own blog post into themselves. There's so many fantastic children's books coming out. And uh, gosh, they're so creative and colorful. And, um, and they explore all sorts of really interesting uh, topics now. So anyway, that's, that's a little aside. Okay, well, what's the next one? Okay, this one's called Darling by India Knight. Now, this is, uh, I first came across India Knight when I was living in London. She was a columnist in the British newspapers, and she's a lifestyle writer. She was sort of got her kickoff in the air around the same time as Bridget Jones's diary. So she was known for one of her books was called My Life on a Plate. And she was always, um, is always, she continues to write now, um, sort of no nonsense, but absolutely hilarious, very honest commentary. So she was sort of the kickoff of all of that type of thing. This book, she's her novels, she's written tons of them, but they're sort of, they were the original chick lit like um, Bridget Jones um, and not always well reviewed. She's had some kind of stingers sent her way, but this one is getting great reviews. And what she's done is she's taken the story of the pursuit of love, which is written by Nancy Mitford and the Mitford sisters were all kind of the, you know, 
hoity-toities of England. And they put, they, they were writers, but they all lived this very, you know, special life. It sort of gives you the feeling of the great Gatsby kind of uh, vibe. Anyway, she, Indian Knight, has written this book called Darling. And it is based on The Pursuit of Love, which was published in 1945 and was very, very popular at the time. And it features, again, this strong main character. She's kind of, she's very beautiful. She's young. She's high strung. She's flighty. She's, um, as I said, kind of wealthy. Reminds you of the Great Gatsby set. Um, and there's actually a movie, uh, The Pursuit of Love. It's on, I think it's on Prime, starring Lily James. And it's, you know, the gorgeous costumes and everything else. Now, Indian Knight has taken that story and she's brought in cell phones and Instagram and, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, trips on the Eurostar and really modernized it in the same setting, but in a modern day. So she has the same strong character and this character is just always in search of love and gets herself into all sorts of quandaries. And um, so it's quite a neat glimpse into this other world, certainly from mine. And it is, um, it has a playful element, but a little bit darkly comic too. So that's, um, and then, you know, talking about all our book club friends, this is one where you could actually read the two books. I don't think they're giant poems. You could tie the two in and a bit of a challenge, but it it could be kind of fun to, um, to read the one that was from 1945 and then see what Indian Knight has done um, with it now. I did that for a book club years ago. And what we did, we did the hours and then we oh, did yeah. Mrs. Dalloway, which is what it's based on. And what we did was we said, um, read whichever one you want. And for keeners or people that just love reading, all, read both of them. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of cool. And then everyone just sort of shared. Um, but that was that's that same idea. I like that idea. Have you heard of um, the Mitford Affair? Here's a copy of it. Oh yes, I have heard. Well, Marie Benedict, she is such a great writer, and she's so good at tying in these um, prominent stories of people that are basing stories on these prominent people. It's uh, she does it very well. Yeah. So I just read that, and it's about the Mitford sisters, and uh, one of the sisters had an affair with Hitler. Oh, charming! Crazy. So anyway, the novelist, so there's six of them and two of, and what's interesting about that family, it was, they were fascists and communists, which are opposite sides of the spectrum, but they were, it was weird. They were very wealthy, but it was that time where they had this interest in, you know, I guess a different type of politics. And so two of those sisters go over to Germany and the novelist, Nancy, is the only one who can kind of reach them. Mm. kind of going back and forth, uh, trying to bring them home. And anyway, so she plays this role. And um, so that's that would be interesting to... As yeah, a- oh, well, you're well set then to to launch into this book because it's, um, it's very much... Um, I think it involves sisters in the story itself as well because it, it's based on their lives or has isn't themes that are in their lives. That sounds cool. Okay, what's the next one? All right, we're on to number five. Okay, super excited about this one. I think we're going to let you all in on the scoop before it actually hits the mainstream book clubs. 
Um, this one is written by Nancy Horan. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Nancy wrote Loving Frank, which was the Frank Lloyd Wright fictionalized memoir. And it was huge when it came That's out. And remember the bright yellow cover and with the gorgeous... I haven't met anyone that didn't love that book that read it. It was such a surprise because I think it was so well-researched. And I think very few of us actually knew Frank Lloyd Wright's story and his story read more dramatically than any novel. Like it was just fascinating. So Nancy Horan had done the research so well and had created this loving Frank. Now, so coming out on June 6th is her new release and it's the house of Lincoln. So we are, she's gone deep into the world of Abraham Lincoln. So the setting is again, back in time. And she follows three families. One is Abe Lincoln and his family, but most specifically, it's the voice of Mary Todd Lincoln, his wife. And there are all sorts of tie-ins to Mary Todd Lincoln. There are a number of books that have been written about her. Um, She, at the time, had what now we would call bipolar. Um, She had three of her four children died. She had a very dramatic life. And so she is one of the three voices in this book. The other is a Portuguese, let's try that again, Portuguese immigrant family. And so it's a Portuguese house girl who works in the Lincoln household and she narrates. And then the third person to narrate is a freed black family from Kentucky and the father of the family is a minister and a barber to Abe Lincoln. And he has ties to the Underground Railroad. So this whole thing all gets woven together. And I, I mean, all you had to say to me was Nancy Horan, and I would read it because I was so impressed by her research as well as her writing. And so that's, um, that'll be kind of the Civil War and its aftermath. So a literal time travel. So that's a good one for the summer too, I think. Oh, I really want to, I want to read that. I, um, it was interesting with loving Frank. I went to Frank Lloyd Wright's home in Oak park to visit it. And they don't talk like, so Frank Lloyd Wright wasn't the greatest guy, at least personally. Mm -hmm. um, They don't talk about any of that. No, it feels very polished. Like I was shocked when I read that her book, Mm -hmm. most people were, to find out, you know, sort of all of this, I guess the word, I don't know, maybe sinister comes to mind, but this very dark background to his life that, yes, when I Googled it all afterwards, I was like, okay, it's there to see, but certainly not the image that is portrayed with him in general. The other book that comes to mind, I was thinking, um, is March by Geraldine Brooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, so that's a really cool book. It's set, it came out, it won the Pulitzer Prize in 2006. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's historical fiction. Uh, well, no, no, that's not, I don't know if you call that. What do you call that? It, it took Little Women. Yes. And then it takes the character. So in Little Women, the father doesn't appear. And so this is sort of about what he's off at war and what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it's that same time period sort of Lincoln. Yeah, and it's funny with the terminology, because I think that is historical fiction. Is that historical fiction? I think the other thing that Nancy Horan does well is this fictionalized memoir. 
So she's telling this story as if it's actually happening. The person is narrating their story, but it's not really their story. It's based on her research. So she's imagining what the person would say. So I think it's called fictionalized memoir, but who's to know? Or you could also maybe maybe call it uh, Wolf with March. It could be called fan fiction, potentially. I don't know. Yeah. Or taking a book and then doing like a... Well, and there's so much of this lately. I know. So you just read. Now, I've not read it, so you'll have to forgive me. But um, you just read Romantic Comedy by Curtis Settenfeld. I did. So she has written books about Hillary Clinton, if I'm right. Yeah. And also... Um, the what, American Wife with... Um, uh, oh, Bush. Um, uh, Laura Bush. Laura that Bush. was exceptional. I like that better than Hillary. Yeah. Well, the Hillary one felt a bit, I don't know, maybe too close. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, she, so she takes these modern, interesting people who have interesting stories, and she creates her own narrative out of it all. And I think it's quite interesting. So the one, tell us about romantic comedy though. What was that? Oh yeah. It's so good. It's, um, well, I've read, I think I've read all of her books, which is almost all of her books. And it just, it takes, um, it's about late night television. So it's a takeoff on SNL. And as you know, in SNL, particularly Pete Davidson, he's not attractive just going to say that gets all the hottest women in the world. And so she flips the script on that script on that and has a kind of average looking woman who's a writer on the show attracts a famous man. And Mm. so without the flipping of the script and also very realistic, it seems like life of what it's like to work for one of these shows, which is crazy. Yeah. Basically you don't sleep. um, You're it's, you're up all night. You're, you're, you're under huge pressure. Um, but it also sounds like a lot of fun. I think it's, yeah. I think it's a young person's game, but, uh, yeah, I really, yeah. Like, like what a great glimpse into that. Um, this is one again, I am, I'm having it recorded here that this, I believe is going to be a huge book. And the great thing about it is that it is, um, written by Canadian writer. Um, this is called The African Samurai, and it's written by Craig Shreve, who is Canadian. This is also, following a theme here, based on the true life of a person. This person's name is Yasuke, and he uh, is the first foreign-born samurai in history. So there are actually, I think there's a series, I looked it up on Netflix, it's an anime series. There's also um, a documentary that was done a few years ago um, about this person. So he started off, he was born in Africa, and then he became a slave, and he was taken in by the Portuguese, and he's just to make it really multicultural, he is uh, charged with uh, protecting a high-ranking Italian priest. So he's a big guy, and he was picked up as a child in, in Africa, became a slave, then becomes this guard, and he's on this ship that um, arrives in Japan. And while he's there protecting this high-ranking Italian priest, um, he somehow gets admired in the civil war that's going on in Japan at the time. 
And it leads to an encounter with a warlord, um, Nobunaga. And they somehow develop kind of a trusting and respectful relationship with one another. And he gets brought into um, Nobunaga's world. Now, Nobunaga is like the big cheese. He's brought into his world and is granted samurai status. And um, it's worth, I don't know if you've ever read Shogun, but if you go back and read about the samurai culture, this is astounding that a foreigner and someone that's African-American African, is brought into this world. And um, it feels like it's got that epic, like Pachinko or Washington Black kind of, or horse. I just read uh, Geraldine Brooks' book, Horse. Um, and it, it brings this whole feeling of like this big international journey and, um, and this incredible journey of cultures. So um, I really think this will be an exciting one. This is also, I'm very conscious. I often choose all these books that women might like, but I have a good friend that I always want to make sure I have one or two on the list for him because it's, uh, it's good to have um, ones that the men in our lives like as well. This sounds, that sounds really interesting. And uh, it sounds like the author, I read a bit about him. He, he has, he's part African himself. He is, yeah. And he has um, some interesting history in Canada, I forget, but he has almost like famous parents in some way. I can't remember. Well, he's, he has one other book. It's called One Night in Mississippi. And the little town where he lives, I believe, was the end point for the Underground Railroad. So he's kind of, sounds like, has, he doesn't seem like he's a very old fellow, but he's grown up in this environment where those stories were being told um, about the African experience and slavery and that sort of thing. And um, he, he was shocked. He didn't know this story. And as he came across it, he thought, well, this is a story that needs to be told. And uh, so there is that personal connection for him. And, um, you know, the little bit that I've read about him, he seems like a very good writer as well, which makes for a good combination. <laughs> That's great. Well, that, I think we've got a lot of choices for people uh, to choose from. And then people can tune into your or subscribe to your blog or check out your blog, which I'll put links um, in the show notes. And so they can get 12 more books. Not 12, six, six, six more. more. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 12 total. Even that's a bit much. We'll Even see what we come up with. There's so many good books. It's, um, it's an exciting time. I, I feel like, and, you know, I follow a lot of these um independent bookstores and there's certainly a good um feeling emerging of people that are opening new bookstores and engaging and reading and it seems like we've kind of come back where people are tossing out their e-readers and coming back to real books and and there's great marketing being done with writers and their books and I mean you and I can sit here and chat but gosh there's so much information that we're able to access to have these conversations yeah. And uh, it, so anyway, it makes me feel optimistic about reading in general, but there's nothing better either than a nice, long, hot summer coming and uh, great big books to read and a few little ones to get in there as our palate cleansers and, and lots of uh, different directions too. Like if you look at this list, you know, we're all over the map, literally <laughs> in different places and from Colorado to Japan. And um, it's a great way to travel if we're not out traveling ourselves. Well, thanks so much, Susan. That was a lot of fun as always. And always. Um, Enjoy it too. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Perfect. Take care. Bye. Happy reading.
Thanks so much to Susan Matheson for coming back on the podcast. And I'm super excited about um, all the choices that she has presented. And I think I'm going to start with All the Beauty of the World by Patrick Bingley about um, the Met. I just think that sounds really interesting to me. And then I'm probably going to check out the African Samurai. I think that sounds really cool. So thanks so much for listening and have a great summer. And please follow me on Instagram at uh, Red Fern Book Review and send me your suggestions. Uh, you can message me uh, or send me a voicemail about what you'd like to like to see in the fall. I'm going to start a, a whole new lineup in the fall and talk to different authors, talk to Jeff, and have a whole new lineup. So I will thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you later. Have a great summer. 